Hello and welcome to Commodity Classic Cast. I'm Chuck Zimmerman. Our program is sponsored by BASF and New Holland. As you know, the Commodity Classic brings together now three, count them, three great organizations. The American Soybean Association, the National Corn Growers Association, and now the National Association of Wheat Growers. At this time, we're going to bring the presidents out. I'd like to start with ASA President Rick Ostley. Rick. Hi, Rick. Welcome. Please welcome National Corn Grower President Ken McCauley. And finally, the new guy, Dale Schuler from the National Association of Wheat Growers. Great. Sit down, guys. All right. I started talking about laughing about my 250 corn. You know, some of you were laughing, some of you weren't. We haven't seen this kind of change, the speed of change, any time in my career. Now, some of us are older enough to remember 73, 74. Is that what you're looking back to? Is that, you're probably too young, but maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to help you out here. But I know Rick remembers it intimately. Is, is that what you're saying? Is, is this the kind of transition we're looking at? Well, I, uh, you know, first of all, I, you know, I wasn't a good enough marketer, so I didn't get my four dollar or 250 corn. I ended up a little higher. Oh, bummer! I did a terrible job. Uh, but you know, back then, you know, prices came down again. I think right now we're in a completely new generation for agriculture. I, I, I'm really excited about the future. I, I, I see uh, uh, technology changes and and uh, uh, lots of things in the egg industry that's never going to go back. I what, think are you, what are you doing on your farm, though? I mean, give me some help here. Well, I've got, I've got uh, soybeans, wheat, and corn. Are you changing and, your mix? And, uh, what? Changing your mix? A little bit more so because of uh, varieties, and it works out in my area now to, to have, uh, well, you know, It's probably a bummer for the American Soybean Association president to grow more corn. It's probably a tricky <laughs> thing politically, <laughs> isn't it, there? No. Yeah. Well, Are you I, running that, Dale? You've got to be really careful about it, don't you? I don't have much trouble with that. Okay. Uh, my operation's pretty well uh, strictly wheat. Okay. Okay. Well, you've you got to keep the faith That's at least right. one more year. Now, next year, you can kind of go where you need to go. John, yeah. I remember 73 very well. Okay, good. My first crop, and it was a good crop, and it was $3, and yep. it was a very good year. I think it, it really tells a story about where we are today. I think it gives uh, young people out there a real opportunity to come into farming when their parents or, or landlords are looking at retiring with, with some money in their pocket. I think it's a. Do you think it's going to happen? I, you know, I'm, I'm a boomer. There are a lot of boomers that came back in 73, 74 because it looked like we're all going to be rich in about three years. And we're, we're still, ha still hanging around. But is this an opportunity? Is that one of the things that, that uh, we should maybe do a better job of? saying, you know, let's have a graceful exit? I think, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, absolutely. I think that it's a perfect time for young people to get involved in the farm. We see uh, with the technology, and, and people just want to soak up all this education. There's so much out there to, to get right now as far as education and, and uh, profits there to help people get started in farming. I think it's a really good time for people that are getting close to retirement to help somebody enter the farm, or even for young people that uh, don't have a big farm to go to, to get involved. If you think of the average age out here in our crowd today, uh, we're, we're older than younger. And, and I think everybody out here could be thinking about that and probably are. Well, but yeah, you, yeah, but 60 is the new 30, all right? Yeah. But you yeah. also got to think of... <laughs> I, I'm working on that. I didn't catch on, I think. <laughs> but, but you got to be thinking about the ups and downs also because these cycles do change. And, you know, we, 
we're here. We survived the, the 70s and 80s, and, and I think that yeah. those things got to be realized too. Yeah. I think our, our producers and, and, my, and myself are, are cautiously optimistic at this point. We've seen prices spike in the past. Mm -hmm. Certainly there's some other issues that are affecting markets now, the strong uh, corn ethanol demand that's giving some support to the you market. You think? <laughs> it is, but Gee, uh, you Christmas. Know, wheat is a little more susceptible to, to world market signals than, right. than corn or soybeans. And I, I think that's a good point. I'm glad we've got Susan Schwab here, who is our trade ambassador. This is a, this is a big deal, cabinet level. But we've somehow gotten focused on ethanol plants plumped down, what, every three quarters of a mile in Iowa? Isn't that what we're up to up there? And we forget we've got a lot of customers that depend on us for corn, soybeans, and wheat around the world. And you especially have to keep, we've got to keep to trade uh, those avenues open. And it, it's, it's a big issue. It's a huge issue for us. 50% of what we grow is exported. Yeah. Uh, but also some of our major competitors have suffered uh, some uh, weather conditions that reduce their crop, Australia mainly. Yeah. Black sea, Whoa, the Black that was Sea ugly. regions that are a little more variable. So uh, if those regions ramp up their production again, uh, have some better weather, it could put some pressure on the wheat market. But currently we've got some great pricing yeah. opportunities. And I think our producers are taking advantage of that right now and, and locking in some good prices. I'm holding for 250. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I better get her done too. John, you mentioned more growing. What have we done on our farm? We're growing 50% more corn. Of course, the corn. Yeah, the guys yeah, more yeah. Corn. So, yeah. Uh, but but that's a, a real tribute to my son. He's he's saying we can do it, and you know it's it's probably one of the bolder things we've done on the farm. And looking at the future, growing, putting up more storage, looking, getting ready for these. How things. was it? How easy was it to talk him into that? That's where is the son out here? I'm, I'll bet, I'd love to be in that conversation right there. <laughs> Well, and I know, but we're, these are things that I didn't think I'd be thinking about last year. That pace of change, it's difficult for a lot of people. A lot of us are still looking backwards going, what was I thinking? Well, you're thinking just as clearly as you are right now. And I think you, we've got to kind of make sure we're focusing forward and not backwards. Dale, I'm kind of curious. You're up close to the border. What's going to happen? The Canadians always a fun bunch to watch with the wheat board. Uh, this is a screwy deal up there. Their government's attacking the wheat board. How do you see that falling out? Well, I think the government's just listening to a lot of their producers. Uh, the wheat board uh, is a controversial issue, even amongst their farmers, from what we've heard from visiting with their okay. producers. Uh, it's like half of their producers like it and half of them hate it. Uh, so. Uh, they're just trying to, to find the, uh, some way to reform that mechanism, and we've been concerned about that for a number of years, yeah. uh, trying to compete against a foreign government in, in world markets. My, what I heard, I was up, up, been up in North Dakota talking to wheat producers, their guess is that their wheat producers want to be selling down into mar our markets. And of course you can't, it's a monopsony, you have to sell to the Canadian Wheat Board, which for corn and soybean producers, we, you know, we don't know anything about this because it's just so bizarre the way they work that. But it, it, of course it's failed in Australia, that one's gone. And I, I just, would you hazard a guess of whether it's going to be around another couple, three years? I think they're having some problems in Australia, and they brought that on, the, on oh, themselves. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, we're, we'd be happy to see that system reformed as well. But the opportunities uh, that, there may be opportunities created uh, if the Canadian Wheat Board were to go to away, yeah. even for U.S. producers. Uh, it may open up the option for Canadian producers to deliver wheat into the United States, but uh, there could be opportunities created for U.S. farmers to access markets that are created in Canada, and we can access their, their transportation systems as well. 
Uh, they may not have the greatest rail system, but it certainly is competition to some of the, the you rail know, industry. That's, the rail system is starting to pop up in a lot of conversations. If you had, I, again, I was out in North Dakota at a meeting, and they had an in, or a, a engineer, a consulting engineer get up and talk about the fact that you cannot source a new locomotive. And this is one of the problems that you plunk down an ethanol plant someplace and you're planning on 100-gallon trains to pull in and out of there. It's a six-year wait to get a new general electric, diesel electric locomotive. China's got them all booked. And are you hearing the transportation issue in your organizations starting to bubble up a little higher? We, we think it's very important, John, that uh, as, as we move more industry to rural America, we want to make sure that, that they stay viable and, and have a profit because the rail industry servicing them can take away that profit if they decide not to give a service in those areas. Right. So we want to make sure that continues. That we, that we keep the emphasis on them because that we aren't going to stand for them not servicing these new, new, th new industries out in rural America. Well, it, it, I ran the same thing with the new biodiesel. You're putting up some huge biodiesel plants, one right. going up in uh, what, in the Northwest? You know, and I think the thing to look at in this also is that there's also a change in the, like the directions that they're going. Sometimes, you know, there's, trains aren't always heading west coast, whatever. You may have a, a biodiesel plant or a crushing plant or an ethanol plant put up someplace where that direction of that has to go the other way, or instead of hauling normally to one direction. And of course, in my area, uh, we're really dependent on the rail because yeah. most of our, our products do not go down the Mississippi. It has to leave by rail. So, so uh, as the rail problems get worse and worse, it really hurts my end of the country. That, that's, um, go ahead, Dale. It's, it's very important for us to help to uh, work to maintain a very efficient and effective rail system. We depend so much on, on transportation, yeah. and, and most of our product travels by rail. Uh, railroads have to be profitable. We understand that, but certainly we, we have to work on service issues to make sure that our producers all around the country have adequate service so they can ship their, their product to market efficiently. Right. Uh, rates are a big concern. Many, many producers of, of all the commodities now are captive to one railroad, uh, and with that, we, we feel that rates sometimes get to be excessive. But, and that's just it, where you guys are located, mostly in the, in the West, putting it on a truck, that's a, that's a bummer. Uh, you can use, use up a lot of your profit just trying to get it anywhere. You need, you gotta have rails out there. But meantime, we're trying to compete with coal, moving out of the, the West to the East, the low sulfur coal, and the railroads love hauling for the coal guys. We really think that corn and probably soybeans also is gonna take a shorter ride than it's been taking but we're going to have different products on the market. So I think if we hit an idea with the rails, rail companies that, that we can make some unique way of, of handling the ethanol and the DDGs and... The Good point, DDGs, you, you're down there with all the cows. Have you been talking to the feedlot operators and, and making progress on that? Because my guess is in about two years, they're gonna be knee deep in DDGs in Iowa. Uh, you know, you're just gonna walk into the state and be shuffling through the stuff. It's, it's all gotta go somewhere, people. That could be, John, but when, uh, three years ago when they said, if we ever hit five billion gallons of production, we will be swimming in DDGs and they're sweeping the floor today. And it's true, there's, there's people in the feedlots in Western Kansas saying, I can't get enough. Actually saying, I wanna build an ethanol plant so I can have some DDGs. So I think the same thing could evolve right into the next generation of, of the, uh, the technology we have today that is probably will be tailored for pork and poultry. I, uh, Rick, I, Every time I turn around, it seems like every month there's a new largest biodiesel plant going to be built. It used to be the one in Indiana that Dreyfus was doing, yeah. but now it's not, any, it's not anymore the new one going up in, in the... Uh, Over by Minot. 
Right. Uh, there's a couple, three big ones being put up in North Dakota right now. How much, I, I, I've been focused in on ethanol, growing corn, it really works well for my area. How big a demand are we talking about uh, the biodiesel industry starting to draw on the soybean well, crop? You know, the reason we started with biodiesel many years ago is because there was a surplus of soybean oil. And so we can really handle a lot of, a lot of gallons of biodiesel before there's any real big pressure as far as uh, a shortage of oil. You know, and, and the thing is, just as our yields increase, if we look at the normal increase of yields, uh, I think even without additional acres, we can handle the biodiesel industry as it grows. So we've got a long ways to go, and it's a, it's a superior product, and it's, it's you know, less pollution, good for your engines. I think the, the potential is great for biodiesel, and I think the crop will keep up with it. Uh, the other point is, uh, remember, when you make biodiesel, you don't lose any of the meal. So we'll have this meal oh, right. for, yeah. for your high-protein feed product. Uh, we'll still be at the market. Yeah. I, I, you sometimes forget that. Just, the soybeans don't go to the plant and then just, just disappear into biodiesel. You've got other things going on. Are, are you comfortable with the idea that Detroit or to, uh, Tokyo are going to have the vehicles we need uh, to, to, to utilize, especially biodiesel? They're going to be comfortable with that, uh, having an end use for this product we're turning out? Oh, absolutely. I, I, uh, I look at all of these these. Companies. I mean, I have my farm. I've been running 20% biodiesel for three years, and it, it's just a great product. Do you have any problems in the winter of the first couple of years? I mean, I don't. Obviously, I don't farm in December, January, North Dakota, but I, uh, I do keep it going until freeze up, basically in the fall, and, and well, I've never had a problem. Okay. Every, every time you get a chance, so at your meeting, you might talk to the guys about keeping the quality consistent. Because what I'm hearing from my fuel guy, boy, it can it can vary a lot. Now, this is what industries are like right at the beginning. And so if, if any of you have been through this, you know, I thought, I, I used to come to this classic and, and guys would ask me, say, well, are you using biodiesel? And I went, no. And I thought, well, this is bad news. I, I like the job. I like to keep doing it. <laughs> so I started getting biodiesel. And it was, you know, they're blending it off from different places, different guys doing it at different levels. We haven't got that science. I think it's getting better. Uh, but it, if you do have some problems, talk to your tractor manufacturer, talk to your fuel guy, give them some feedback, and that's how you get things to get better. And one other point, uh, you know, I just had a, a problem a couple weeks ago. I, I had filled up my semis hauling bean seed in, and uh, where I got my fuel this time, we couldn't get biodiesel. It was straight, you know, ultra-low sulfur. And I had problems from my own truck. Oh, yeah, I gelled up the filters. Now, there was no biodiesel in there, but I had all kinds of problems. And I, I, I want to make sure that people look at the situation and, and don't blame biodiesel for a problem in the other fields. Right. It, it's a, there's an additive you can put in, right, right. that they started putting in my... I was, I was f changing combine fuel filters twice a day. That's a bummer. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important, too, to recognize that the uh, biodiesel industry is young. It's got a long ways to go. They really, when it started, it was, it was a, you know, looked like they were going to leapfrog ethanol. I don't, I don't think you leapfrog things in industry. You're the engineer, John. Yeah, but, well, but, those uh, are big numbers. As far as the, the autos go, uh, we, we really need the autos to, to step up and, and produce these flex fuel vehicles so we can use this ethanol. That's, it, the industry's growing at a rapid pace. We're going to have some eth extra ethanol around. We want to make sure we've got a home for it. I think what you're hearing, John, is that uh, agriculture has the opportunity to provide solutions to a lot of different issues. Right. Uh, you know, we can continue to provide the food and the feed and the fiber that we have traditionally provided, but now we have the opportunity to provide fuel as well, and it's clean fuel and it's renewable fuel. Uh, we have the, the, the corn ethanol demand uh, giving us new opportunities, and the, and the, 
biodiesel that uh, gives us opportunities. But I think also we can expand that for our producers of, of wheat into the cellulosic ethanol industry. What's your guess on that? Dale, what are they telling you guys? I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, what am I going to grow switchgrass with? How am I going to, if they're talking about 30 tons the acre, this, we're talking about, a, what, a 400 horsepower windrower just to <laughs> lay this? Uh, well, you know, yeah. I, I have no idea about that. Everybody say, oh, it's two, three years away at any time, but I can see straw. When you do that, what's the fertility? You know, there's a lot of questions starting to pop into this engineer's mind. Well, a lot of, a lot of our producers in, in the higher production areas for wheat uh, uh, view straw as a liability right now. They're, they're burning extra fuel to go out there to manage it through mechanical tillage to actually oh, right. get, around get rid mm -hmm. of it. Or, or some producers are actually throwing a match at it uh, because they can't manage that. In their well, we don't do that anymore. No, no, we're going to hear a little bit more about that in just a minute. About, so, uh, let's not sit, talk about open burning. We, uh, so, we don't do that. No, no. So in some areas, that must be somebody else you're referring to there, Dale. <laughs> well, this would give us an opportunity for some of our producers to get away from that because yeah. we can take that excess straw and run it through a cellulosic ethanol plant and get the return for our producers at really no extra cost. What are you hearing about urea? Now, I'd, I've, been, I've been blogging about this on John's World. started about eight months ago because we got almost, what, 70%. We're more dependent on foreign nitrogen than we are on foreign oil. And you start growing a lot more corn, wheat acres are good. Guys are mumbling when I was in North Dakota about, I can't book urea, and when it, I do, it starts with a four. And they were not happy campers. And I'm hearing stuff about $600 anhydrous. Are, are you having, uh, Ken especially, uh, corn growers and, well, and the wheat too. Are you making contacts with the fertilizer industry to, you know, let's hold some hands here and make sure we're all on the right page? Yeah, we've, we've, we've met with the fertilizer industry domestically and talked about the export issue. Uh, we, we think the world's changing. We're, we need to figure out how we can work within that change because uh, as, as these domestic fertilizer companies have the change in environmental things, they aren't all sticking around. And no, that's our got, problem. You've got cheaper natural gas overseas. I think you're seeing some of that for different reasons, but we need to figure out how to, how to manage that and make it, at, at least make it profitable or so our members have a consistent supply. Yeah. You know, I think a good point in that is that's why it's so important to have a proper rotation. You know, soybeans don't need all that nitrogen. And, and, well, here it comes. Here comes the commercial. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't forget the soybeans. Not really. Boy, they come up on the checkoff side. They never get off of that, do they? It's just amazing. <laughs> Guys, we really appreciate it. This is exactly what we're trying to do. These are real, real people. Now, one thing I wanted to point out, and if you take a real quick moment here, you just had a year, at, or you're in the process of your year as a president. If you could say one thing you didn't know about being president of a national organization that you wish somebody had told you a year ago, what would it be? Whether about the time or what it's like or how much you've enjoyed it, whatever. Well, I, 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 I expected the, the time. If you know, enough guys have gone through this, they can warn you about that ahead of time. Uh, but looking back on it, uh, they, they didn't express how much, of a, how much I would enjoy it and how great of an experience great. it would be. Um, the chance to meet so many wonderful people, uh, to travel around and, and visit with other groups, uh, that's been just a great experience for me. Yeah, I, I agree with Dale John on the experience. I knew the time factor. Something I didn't know is how good things would run at home without me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. But it's a oh, is Dad gone? <laughs> they don't, they don't oh, yeah. want you back, Ken. Oh. Oh. Tremendous, tremendous support, though, from neighbors, family, 
immediate family. And you know, sometimes brother. that's a good thing. Sometimes you have to make a hole in order for other people to have a chance to step up. And it's not about us. And it's not about, boomers hate to say this, but it's really not about us. And that's a great way to find it out. You know, I, I guess, you know, you mentioned that, what I've learned. I, you know, I, I was asked last fall about the challenges that I had going forward. And I don't see challenges. I see opportunities. I mean, this has been a... a You've been a, reading a, way too many self-help yeah. books here. You know. <laughs> this, is, this has been the greatest opportunity I've ever had. And, and I've, I've met people, I've learned things, and I, I feel like I can, I can make a difference. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been difficult at home. My, my, my son, Richie, uh, has got a full-time job as an engineer, and, and it's, it's just Richie and I. Good on you, Richie. And Engineers rule. <laughs> same here. And, and my wife, Cheryl, she's in the, in the four-wheel drive tractor in the spring and the fall a lot of times and, and helping out. And, and when I'm gone, he sometimes has to leave work early and, and do things for us. But, but one comment I want to make before sure. I, I finish here is, you know, you know, Dale and I have done this for quite a while. And, you know, there's a fair amount of stress. And, you know, as you can see, we lost our hair. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> I don't think Ken has worked Yeah, he hasn't been enough. stressed enough. No, okay. <laughs> Folks, let's we, give him a round of applause. This is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, if you don't have any other takeaway from this, all of you younger producers out there, if these guys can do it, you can be president of a national organization. That's one thing we're trying to say. That's Commodity Classic Cast, sponsored by BASF and New Holland. I'm Chuck Zimmerman reporting.